Amen. Thank you, guys. You can have a seat. Worship team, thank you. Normally at this point in the service, if you're used to how we have tended to do it, we would then play a very cool video that Laura makes where it's like a bumper video for the new series. And we just finished a series, and we're about to get into another series. But this week, we don't have a series. This is Vision Sunday. And we're going to talk about what we do here at Church of the Valley, why we do it, and what 2024 could be like if uh, God has his way. We just concluded 1 John. We went through that letter for quite a while. That was a lot of fun, Uh, but we finished it, and the last sermon was called uh, Concluding 1 John. So if you didn't watch it, I'd recommend going and finding that. Uh, We're going to get into a series called Greater Than, which is in the book of Hebrews, which will start in a few weeks. But today, we're going to spend time talking about where we hope to go in 2024. For some of you that have been here a while, maybe those of you who have switched seats, some of what we're going to share today is going to be a bit of recap, and it's going to be things that we've hit on often, but my hope is that we'll either say them in a different way or you'll hear them in a different way, but we want to make clear that these references that we're going to point to are because we believe that God can use these things, the truth of his word for the glory of his name. So we're going to begin in Titus and Exodus and in 2 Timothy, and then eventually we're going to conclude in 2 Timothy today while jumping around a little bit in the Old Testament and a lot in the New Testament. Now, as you see this first slide, this is the name of the sermon, Growing Through the Gospel. In 2024, my hope is that we would grow, those of us who have trusted Jesus, we would grow to look more like Jesus through the gospel. And for those of us who are yet to believe the gospel, the good news of Jesus, which we will talk about, our hope is that you would understand who Jesus is, what he's done, what he means to us, and the fact that we can trust and follow him. We're going to be beginning in Titus. If you want to follow along, you can. There's Pew Bibles in front of you, Pew Pew. There's also the apps that you have on your phones and iPads. But I would encourage you to try to follow along, but we're going to jump through a bunch of passages. So if you take notes, write down the passages. The scriptures will be on the screen. In the past, normally when we do a sermon, we have a lot of points that are made in the passage where we have, hey, here's a point or here's a pithy saying or something like that. We have almost none of those in this sermon. So if you want to take something from this passage, I'd encourage you to take notes of something that you hear or watch it afterwards and play it back on slower as my wife tends to do, or at least she pauses when she watches it online. Titus chapter 3, verses 4 through 7, Paul writes to Titus, this elder, this pastor in Crete, and he says, but when the kindness and love of God our Savior appeared, he saved us, not because of the righteous things we had done, but because of his mercy. He saved us through the washing of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us generously through Jesus Christ our Savior. So that having been justified by, what's that word? His grace. We might become heirs having the hope of eternal life. This is where we begin because I want to point us constantly to the fact that the gospel, the good news, is not something we do. It's something Christ has already done, and we get to believe that. I didn't grow up in church, but I've known many of people who do, and for whatever reason, there's a sense of, if I do good things, then God will love me. God loves you because Jesus did for you what you could not do for yourself. He loves you in spite of you. 
And this passage, this text, this pointing to the fact that it's not because of things we've done, it's because of what Christ has done that we would be justified through Jesus. And by what? His grace. We've said before, it's not a sermon unless you quote Ephesians 2. So in Ephesians 2, 8 through 9, Paul says to the church in Ephesus, for it is by what word? Grace, that you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves. You did not accomplish this. You did not do this. This is a gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. Man, that's good news, church, and we want to constantly point to that good news. In 2023, as you watch that video, if you were here early enough to see it, as you watch all the things that we did from, from Christmas to a to Halloween event to other things that we did throughout the year of 2023, it was all to point us to the fact that Jesus is king and we are not. The gospel's about him, it's not about us, and we get to receive by faith this grace that he offered to us. And so, for it is by grace, getting what you do not deserve, that you have been saved through faith, to believe this grace, to believe that this grace has been offered, to believe that this is the grace that justifies you, and you did not do this. This was God alone who did this. And when we grasp this, when we understand this, and again, this is kind of a recap of 2023, but when we understand this, we then have the opportunity, the invitation to find our identity, not in what we do for a living, not in the trucks that we drive, trucks, not in the sports teams that beat the Packers yesterday. That's the only, the only Packer reference I'm going to make. Sorry. Love you. Love you, Fredericks. Love you, Megan. Um, we don't find our identity in our children, even though our kids are awesome. We don't find our identity in our spouse or our significant other. We don't find our identity in the good things we do in a church building. We find our identity in Christ and Christ alone. And so in Exodus chapter 20, way back in Exodus, Moses goes up the mountain. He gets the two tablets. He drops them. He goes back up and he gets two more tablets. And he comes down the mountain and he speaks to the Israelites and he shows the Israelites what God had said the law was, the commands of God. Do you remember the first one? Well, it's already up there, so I guess you do. And God spoke all these words. I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of Egypt and out of the land of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. And this opportunity, this is, if you knew it or not, this is an invitation for people to find God, triune God, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, as our God. No other gods before him. And so we point to constantly as a church, find your identity in Christ. Find your identity in Jesus. Our struggle with sin is not we, did, we said something, we did something wrong. Our struggle with sin is the fact that we don't put Christ central. And so we, can, we have been offered an identity that is found in Christ. Why? Because of what Paul wrote and what we quote. And if I got a tattoo, which I haven't, this is one, probably Titus 3 and this, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21. God made him who had no sin to be sin for who? Us. So that in him we might become the righteousness of God. This doesn't mean that we then would do good things and then God would love us. We would become the righteousness of God, which means right standing with God, that we would be justified by God for his grace and for his glory. This is the good news. This is what we focus on 
And this is something that we talked about in every passage that we taught last week through the book of 1 John and through the book of Acts. And then Paul writes, and I was just studying this with two good friends. Paul writes in Romans chapter 1, verses 16 and 17, Paul says, to the church in Rome, for I am not ashamed of the gospel. Now, let me remind you guys, gospel is not the first four, letter, first four uh, books of the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. That's gospels. Gospel is not a type of music. The gospel is the good news that Jesus lived the life we couldn't, died the death we should have died, physically rose from the dead, exalted to heaven, and the kingdom of God is now offered to us by grace through faith. That's good news. It's not good advice. It's good news. And so when Paul says, for he is not ashamed of this, because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes, first to the Jews, then to the Gentiles. For in the gospel, the righteousness, the right standing of God is revealed. A righteousness that is by faith from first to last. As it is written, the righteous, those who have right standing before God, will live by faith. So, we've talked a lot about the gospel. 2023, but here's the cool thing about 2024. We're not going to be like, well, we figured out the gospel. Everyone knows it. We're good. No. We're going to continue to double down on the good news of Christ and what he's accomplished, but we're going to emphasize and point to the fact that we can do something with the gospel. As I was praying with a couple elders this morning, one of our elders, Daniel, said, what do we do based on what you've done, Lord? What do we do based on what you've done? And so I have a question for you, and this question is going to come up a little more often than not this year, and here's the question. If the gospel, if the good news is true, then what will you do? If the gospel is true, then what will you do? I'm not saying get a bracelet and and get rid of your what would Jesus do bracelet and put this new bracelet on with this acronym because it's too long. But what I am saying is when you think about how you act, when you think about how you treat other people, when you think about how you make decisions, If the good news of Christ is true, if you have been saved by grace through faith in Christ, what will you do? How will you respond? How will you react? How will you treat others? And so, emphasis, 2023, the gospel. Emphasis, 2024, growing through the gospel. So how do we do this? Well, I think God gave us the opportunity very clearly. He pointed it out very clearly through the Apostle Paul as he wrote a letter to Timothy, great name, the second letter that he wrote to him. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16. He says, All Scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Wow. So, there have been times in my life, in the church, where people have kind of been um, anti-Scripture, and there have been times where I feel like I've been in church where people have been Scripture alone, let's not talk about anything else. If you quote Jimmy Fallon, you're a heretic, and I quote Jimmy, well, I don't, he's not as funny anymore, but like, there are guys that I quote that are not just Bible scholars, 
And what I want to point out is what Paul was telling Timothy, what the Holy Spirit spoke through Paul was simply that the word of God is important for those who trust God to actually do something with. And we're going to hit this point in 50 different ways the best we can. But all of the scripture is from God and it is useful. It's useful to teach. This is why we go through books of the Bible when we teach. This is why we're about to jump into Hebrews. This is why we've done 1 John. This is why we did Ephesians. This is why we did John. This is why we've spent time in Titus and different books of the Bible. We might even finish Genesis one day before Jesus comes back. Maybe. But we believe it's all God-breathed, and it's useful for teaching. It's useful for rebuking, not, hey, let me use this as a sledgehammer to tell you all the things you're doing wrong. But when we read it, we have the opportunity for it to read us and show us where maybe we're not living up to what we claim we believe. And so it's useful for rebuking, correcting, and simply training in righteousness, not to make yourself right with God, but because you're right with God, you act a certain way. So that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. And a good work is, it's nice to help people who maybe need help across the street. And there's simple things that you can think of when you think of good works. But when Paul is talking about good works, what I think he means is simply obedience to what God says in his commands. And so why? Well, I'm going to give you a passage that if you've been with us for four or five years or six years, you've probably heard a lot Ephesians chapter 4, Paul writes to the church in Ephesus, and he says, he's speaking, and this is one of the reasons we do the ministry the way we do it with our elders and with our staff and with our lay leaders and people in the community. We want people to serve. We want people to be involved, but I don't want Malik to lead worship every week. I don't preach every week. We want to give people the opportunity to experience what it means to serve God in both upfront ministry and behind the scenes ministry. So here's what Paul tells the church in Ephesus. So Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and teachers to do what? What are these roles for? Well, they're to equip his people for works of service. Why? So the body of Christ may be built up. I don't want to grow this church, if I'm really honest, because if I grow the church, it will just eventually implode. I want to see God build up his people and he can bring who he wants to be built up in Christ. That's the goal. And that's what I think Paul is pointing out to the church in Ephesus, so that the body of Christ, the church, the people, not the steeple, that the body of Christ may be built up, verse 13, until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature. You know, uh, like, I'm 43 now. I have no problem telling you that. I'm not embarrassed by it. I have one gray hair currently that I haven't colored. No, I'm just kidding. I don't color um, yet. But I have no problem explaining my age because of what God has taught me in my ministry and in my life and as I've gotten older. But I have a ways to go to be mature. And from um, Finley, who's my two-and-a-half-year-old, to Barbara, who's my 29-year-old best friend, (laughs) who's somehow been on staff almost 70 years, um, there's maturity to be done in each and every single one of us until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. 
So 2024, church, as you think about, as we're going to study the book of Hebrews, as we're going to have community groups, as we're going to do outreach events, as we're going to have individual Bible studies, as we're going to offer opportunities for you, it's so we as a community can be equipped to more understand who God is, what he does, what he's like, and to have better knowledge of the Son. This is known as, here's a fun word, theology. This is why much of last year, we as a leadership spent our time working on this new and improved, updated statement of faith. We spent so much time on this statement of faith. We spent time borrowing and stealing and and talking to other leaders and coming up with a statement of faith that sounds a little more COV, but points out what we believe as a church. Now, the statement of faith historically is something that you generally just put on the website. You put it on the website, and then people look at it to see kind of what your emphasis is, or if I'm honest, I go to look to see if a church is nuts, right? And so we spent a bunch of time working on the statement of faith, not to be just incredibly conservative or incredibly liberal. No, we want to be true based on what the Word of God says. And so here's the statement of faith. Here's what it'll look like on the website, at least. And so what'll happen is you'll take your, your cursor, your mouse, I don't even have a mouse anymore. You'll, you'll go up to it and you'll go over one of these things and then there will be a definition for these. And at the top you see essentially our emphasis. God. That's who we're about, church. Like, we're a Christian church. I hope that's not surprising to you. We're about God. What about God? His gospel. His gospel of grace. How do we know? Because of the word of God. And as you go on to the statement of faith, as we release this on the website, you will start to see definitions for different things, and we'll explain these things, and we'll give passages that reference why we put it the way that we put it, but we wanted to just really make clear what we were about. And so at the top, we've got God. Now, we believe in a triune God, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. How many gods do we believe in? One! But you just said Father, Son, Holy Spirit. One God, three persons. And we spend time believing that this one God in three persons is the one that we have a relationship with. And so the Father is spirit. The Father is a creator. The Father is good. The Father has a relationship with his children. The Father is a lot of things. And we try to explain that in a very short definition. The Son. Well, we talk a lot about the Son here at Church of the Valley. The Son is Jesus. Yes. And we talk about what Jesus has accomplished so we could have relationship with God. And the Holy Spirit, we're not afraid of the Holy Spirit. We just don't want to say things about the Holy Spirit that the Holy Spirit didn't write about himself. And so we explain Father, Son, Holy Spirit, and how they have a relationship with one another. And then gospel, which we've just spent some time talking about. But in the gospel, there's the plan of God. God created everything. And if you remember Genesis 1, he creates everything. And what is it? It's good. It's good. Well, then Genesis 3 comes along. Not so good. And yet the plan of God was that he would create everything and it would have unity and connection and it was good and God and man were together and it was good. And then sin enters into the fray and then the work of God has to enter into the fray. And God's plan to make it so you and I could have a right standing with God was not, oh, sin entered into the fray, what do I do? But he 
took off his royal robe and he walked among us and he lived among us and he lived the life we couldn't live and he died the death we should have died and he physically and victoriously rose from the dead, church. And that was the work of God. And out of that, we get to have an identity in Christ that means that we no longer worry about how the world sees us, but we worry about how God sees us. And here's the great news about the person who understands their identity in Christ. When the father looks at you, he sees a son. That's good news. And so then we talk about the word of God and how we believe that the 66 letters... Uh, Genesis through Revelation are God's whole word explaining and describing who he is, and it was all infallible and perfect as it was originally written. And we explain that in the definition of the word of God. And then we talk about eternity, and we talk about the fact that there will come a day Jesus comes back. Like, I don't feel crazy saying that, not not just because I read it, but because I look at the world today and I go, "Uh uh-oh. Not because I think he's coming back tomorrow. In fact, I have no idea when he's coming back. So if you came to learn from the pastor when he's coming back, um, please don't go find a pastor who says he knows. Because we are not the planning committee. We are the welcoming committee. And I don't like committees, but if we have to be a committee, we welcome. And so we talk about our stance on eternity, which is Jesus will come back. (laughs) And then the fact is that through the word of God, we understand that when God adopts us into his family, we become the church. It's not the steeple, it's the the people. That's what the body of Christ is, which Jesus is the head. And we spend time explaining what we mean by the church of God. Not just church of the valley, but the big C church. The big C church that means we have a relationship with God and we've been brought into a family and we are part of his church. And out of all of this, the hope is, as we study the Word of God, and this is where I'm going to head at towards the next few minutes of this sermon, is that we experience spiritual growth, but you only experience spiritual growth if you first trusted Jesus, and you've trusted God at His Word that says you are saved by grace through faith in Christ. All right, so that's the statement of faith. Now, what I want to ask some of you And there's going to be cards in front of you. And what I just described, um, we're not going to create a class because a class makes me just, uh, I don't want to do a class. What I want to do is an experience. And I want to offer an experience to this church by the end of this year. So I am now sharing this with you. I'm going to hold me accountable. By the end of this year, we will be sharing experiences where we can walk people through this entire thing to make sure you don't just hear it, but that you understand it. And that we can wrestle with things. And the fact is that we, as we start to have these experiences, we know we're not infallible. So there might be some definitions that change a little as we have discussions and conversations. But we believe this is a really good stepping off point for people to grasp and grow in their understanding of God and knowledge in the Son. And so if what I just described to you is kind of exciting to you, if you're kind of like, oh, I want to hear this. I want to, I want to be one of the first people. Pick me, pick me. All right, well, there's a card in front of you. And I'd encourage you to write your name. And I'd encourage you to uh, put best contact information and say, hey, I'd be interested in learning about the statement of faith early. Because what I want to do is an experience with some of the people that are part of this church and walk through some of this stuff to make it so when we offer it to the church as membership, that we have already 
kind of walked through how to communicate this to people in such a way that it's useful and helpful for them. So if that interests you, fill out a card. Drop it in the box at the end. I'd encourage you to do so. If you're brand new, we probably won't ask you to be a part of this yet, but if you've been at this church for a while, we probably will pick some of you to go through an experience as we learn how to do this. Now, we're gonna go to the main part of our passage today. So if you haven't turned to any scripture, I'm gonna recommend this one passage because we're gonna be in it for a minute. James, chapter one. James, chapter one. Hi, James. James, chapter one. He didn't write it. He's a good dude. He's incredibly intelligent, but not, not Jesus' brother. James, chapter one. And we're going to start in verse 18, which most of the time when you look at this, people start in verse 19, but I think 18 really sets the stage. So James, chapter one, verse 18, Jesus' half-brother, you guys get that, right? Same mom? Okay. James's, James, Jesus' half-brother. Here's how we're starting his part of this letter. He, God, chose to give us birth through the word of truth. In some contexts, when we look at a similar phrase, it's the spirit of truth, but the word of truth, that we might be a kind of first fruits of all who were created. He chose to give us birth through the word of truth. He gave us his word. He's not making us guess about who God is. He actually explains it in the 66 letters. He gave us birth through the word of truth. And a first fruit, we were the first fruit. Those who have trusted Jesus are the first fruit. A Christian no longer lives the way they want to live we actually start to put ourselves under the authority of God's word. Now, I'm not saying we do this perfectly, but there is an affection towards this when we really understand who God is and what he's done for us. Verse 19, my dear brothers and sisters, other believers, take note of this. <laughs> Everyone should be quick to listen. Uh-oh. Slow to speak and slow to become angry. Because human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. Wow. I fail at this. Anybody else want to admit it? Thanks, Mike. Mike's squared. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry because human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. Now, I have heard this passage a lot, and I've heard people quote this passage in a vacuum pretty often, and here's what I mean. Hey, you should be quick to listen. To who? To everybody. Oh, well, ironically, that's not what James is talking about. He's talking about the word of God. You should be quick to listen. Slow to share your opinion. Slow to speak. Slow to get angry when the word of God, which doesn't contradict itself, it contradicts us. Slow to get angry when the word of God contradicts us. Because human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. It does not produce what God wants in his people. Because if we come to God's word and go, eh, I believe some of it, we're not actually under God's authority at all. Therefore, if we're under God's authority, therefore get rid of all moral filth and the evil that is so prevalent and humbly accept the word planted in you, which can save you. Here's the point of this passage, the word. It's not 
being a nice person. It's not not getting angry. It's not getting rid of moral filth. Here's the point. The word is the point. And then he says something we're all pretty familiar with if you've been in this church or have any Bible history. He says this in verse 22. Do not merely listen to the word. Remember what he's talking about. Hey, be slow to, slow to speak, slow to become angry, be quick to listen to what? The word. Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Oh, okay. Verse 23. Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says, <sighs> he's going to use an analogy that I think is lost on us but I'm going to do my best to help us grasp this in 2024. Anyone who listens to the word is quick to listen to it or not quick to listen to it, but is listens to the word, maybe on a Sunday morning, maybe in your own time, maybe someone teaches you the Bible. Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like someone who looks at their face in the mirror and after looking at themselves goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. Okay, I, I don't have a mirror, okay? But I know what I look like. And when I go and look in the mirror, which if I'm really honest, in reality is very rare, like I do this to my hair and then I leave and I like comb my beard. Those are the two things I do. But imagine looking in the mirror and having like food in your teeth. And you look at yourself, you see the food in your teeth, and you go, eh, and you walk away, and you do nothing with the food in your teeth. That's literally what someone who does nothing with the Word of God is like. Why? Because the Word of God is the mirror to us. The Word of God points out to us where we don't meet God's perfect standard. And guess what? We're all level at the foot of the cross. Every single one of us is in need of grace. From John the Baptist to whomever you think's the worst human to ever live, and in your minds, you've got some politicians coming to mind. I get it, but I'm not going to say it. And so we're all level at the foot of the cross. And so if the word of God is true, if you are quick to listen, if you are slow to speak, if you're slow to get angry with it contradicting you, when we come to the word, let's not look at it and say, well, it tells me that I'm off. Eh. I'll just move on and let this big gross thing in my teeth continue to be something that other people have to be embarrassed about in front of me. Verse 25. Nah, back to 23. Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like someone who looks at their face in a mirror and after looking at themselves goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. But, I love buts in the Bible, but whoever looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues in it, not forgetting what they have heard, but doing it, they will be blessed in what they do. Let me, let me say it a different way. Those who put into practice God's words for the right reasons grow to look more like Jesus if they first trusted Jesus. That's good news. That's good news for any of us. And I know some of us are like, well, I haven't really grown that much. Ask someone who knows you and is not you. Ask someone who's kind of been around you to say, hey, has anything changed in me as I've committed to Jesus? Because I bet you they see something different if it's real. The fact is that when we trust the gospel, the good news of Jesus, the way we live begins to change. 
Not, not quickly, not overnight, not, not any of the external stuff, but there's interior things, internal things that start to change in us. And so I think that's what Paul's getting at in Philippians chapter 1, verse 27, when he says, whatever happens, church in Philippi, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Real talk, not a fan of this verse currently. I, I haven't really conducted myself in a manner worthy of the gospel the way I should. Like, I have no confession for you. I'm just saying, like, the way I know I ought to and the way I tend to conduct myself, not always in line with what I believe. So if I'm like that, chances are maybe you're struggling with this as well. Here's the thing. There's grace. But don't allow this to be a mirror to you and then just walk away and forget that you have meatballs in your teeth. Why? Because this is not good advice. This is good news. And a God-changed heart is one that says, I actually like to have God tell me how to live. I actually like to read his word and have it exposed to me where I am not doing it right and I have the opportunity to repent and change direction and follow him and I know he's not going to look down on me because I didn't do it perfectly. This is why we have community groups, which is kind of a segue, but we have community groups. There will be signups. After the service, a lot of people have really signed up because uh, Karen threatened you. It was awesome. She's like, hey, if you don't sign up, you might not get the group you want. And everyone's like, okay, and a bunch of people signed up. Continue to sign up because community groups are a vehicle we use as a church to help people grow in their understanding of actually applying what God says. If you think you're mature, but you're unwilling to be in community, I'm just going to leave that sentence right there. And let me, let me use an example that is kind of, I don't know. You can lead a horse to water, but you can't make them drink. You're the horse in this example, for the record. We lead people to have the opportunity to grow. We lead people towards, hey, we have community groups. We have Bible studies. We have opportunities for one another to be in God's word together. We can't make you apply it to your lives. We can just encourage you because of the big difference it could make. Why? Because of what the writer of Hebrews says in Hebrews 4, verse 12. The writer says this, For the word of God is alive and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. The Word of God is living and active. The Word of God changes the believer who is living and active as well. And so I would encourage you, church, get in the Word. I, I've asked the staff consistently, and they've started to send me emails every week, and I appreciate it. Hey, what are you guys reading? I don't need you to teach me what you're reading. I just want to know that you're reading stuff in the Scripture. Why? Because it's accountable. It's an opportunity for us to just say, hey, we're learning stuff, not just in the passage the preacher's preaching, but we're reading other parts of the Bible. And if I read one of those passages, I can then ask them, so what are you going to do with this? The Word of God is living and active. And this living, pretty, pretty important. 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 3 through 5, we are about the gospel. We believe the Word of God points out the good news consistently throughout all of the books of the Bible, and here's how we have confidence in this. First Peter chapter 1, verses 3 through 5, the Apostle Peter says, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. 
In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. This inheritance is kept in heaven for you, who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. The word of God is living and active. The believer who trusts Jesus is living. How do we, and what do we have? We have a living hope, not dead. He died, but it didn't take. Three days later, Jesus resurrected. And that is how we have confidence in our faith, because we do not believe in a dead God like Colts. We believe in a risen Savior who did for us what we could not do for ourselves. And it's for this resurrection that we find confidence. So let me take you to a passage we won't do on Easter, but we do pretty consistently. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Paul writes to the church in Corinth, and he explains what our gospel is founded on. And he says, brothers and sisters, believers, I want to remind you of the gospel that I preached to you, which you've received and which you've taken your stand, which you've put your flag into. By this gospel, good news, you are saved. If, <laughs> there's a disclaimer, if you hold firmly to the attendance at church that I preached to you, <laughs> if you hold firmly to voting a certain way, boo. If, I don't know, I, I'm not even creative anymore. It's only by if you hold firmly to the word that I preach to you. Otherwise, you have believed in vain. Maybe you go and you hear the word a lot. Maybe you study. Maybe you listen to the podcast. Maybe you memorize the book of the Bible, but you don't do anything with it. I love you enough to tell you that perhaps that's in vain. He goes on, verse 3. For what I received, Paul says, I passed on to you as of first importance, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. Which scriptures? Not the New Testament. It's currently being written. The Old Testament. That he... He died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. What scriptures? The Psalms. Isaiah. Hundreds of years before Jesus died on a cross and rose from the dead, it was said his days would be prolonged. And this is how we have confidence because we believe in a risen Savior. Verse 5, and then he appeared to Cephas. That's Peter. Then to the 12. After that, Paul says, he appeared to more than 500 brothers and sisters at the same time, most of whom are still living, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James. Not him. James, the half-brother of Jesus. Then to all the apostles, and last of all, Paul says, he appeared to me also as to one abnormally born, one who was not following Jesus prior to his death, one who did not believe and was actually fighting against the idea that Jesus rose from the dead until he met him alive. So we believe the gospel. We believe we can grow through the gospel by trusting God at his word, in the word of God, and we have confidence because he is resurrected from the dead. So let me conclude. I'm actually going to conclude, I promise. 2 Timothy chapter 4. Here is the warning that Paul gives Timothy. He says, preach the word. The word. 
Be prepared in season and out of season. Correct, rebuke, and encourage with great patience. Oh, that is so necessary. With great patience and careful instruction, for the time will come when people will not put up with sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their own desires, they will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. They will turn their ears away from the truth and turn aside to myths. Okay, Paul writes this to Timothy. It's, it's like in the middle of happening all over in multiple churches. Let me, let me tell you something maybe you didn't think of. It's not like this is future for us. This has already taken place in this church. In churches all around here, people turn aside from the truth and they turn aside to myths. Why? Because the Bible offends them and they have excuses. Let us put the word of God into practice and see if it actually works by actually trusting it, by obeying it. And then Paul says, but you... Keep your head in all situations. Endure hardship. I'll give that to all of us. Endure hardship, Christians. Do the work of an evangelist. Do not be ashamed of the gospel. Care about people who are far from God. Pray for them. Be available to them. Answer the questions they perhaps have. Discharge all your duties of your ministry. This doesn't mean get rid of them. This means care for people in such a way that you are responsible for the ministries that you have if you're up front, if you're behind the scenes, if you do ministry outside of the church, but you're doing it for the Lord. Discharge all the duties of your ministry. Do not be ashamed that maybe you're not up front. Do not be ashamed that maybe the only person to see your ministry to God is God himself. Discharge all of your ministry. Worship team, come on up. I've gone three minutes longer than I wanted to. So I have a question for you. Don't, please don't put it up yet. I have a question for you, and it's similar to the question I asked before, but we're just going to change one term in it because I think it's something that we're going to just put in front of people for a while as a community. Because I think if we can really grasp what a big deal this is, it could change the way that we live and see God and his word. Here's the question. If the word of God is true, then what do you do? Before I asked if the gospel is true, and that probably should stir in us something, and the word of God points to the gospel, but I think in this context where we just studied 28 verses somewhat quickly, if the word of God is true, if what we just read, if what we just talked about is true, if you read on your own, if it's true, what will you do with it? Will you be like the person who looks in the mirror and forgets what they look like? Or will you put it into practice for the right reasons because you love the Lord and through that, God may use that to grow you, look more like the Lord and to serve him and to trust him and to follow him and to love him in an exciting relationship with him? I'll leave you with that question. Let's pray. Father, I, uh, I thank you for your word. I thank you that it's a lamp unto our feet, as it says. I thank you that it shows me where I don't meet your perfect standard and how in need of grace I am in Jesus Christ. I thank you that God did not save me, Lord, that you did not save me in such a way that I am now perfect in the world's eyes because I have the opportunity daily, 
to point out my frailty and my need for you. So Lord, help us as a community put into practice what you're teaching us. Help us as a community to care that your word actually can change us. May we put it into practice, not just so our hearts won't become hard, but because we love you and we want to serve you in this way. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.